Welcome to episode 55 of So Important, the Interview Podcast. I am so pleased to be speaking today with Dr. Francesca Royster, who has an important new book, just published, I should add, entitled Black Country Music, Listening for Revolution. This book is the first book on black country music by a black writer, and what so amazes me about this book is that it weaves together a number of narratives to tell a compelling story that is more than the sum of its parts. Yet it has so many parts. In telling the black experience in country music, Dr. Royster tells an important but overlooked history. She deals with the whitewashing of the black contribution to country music at its start and as it progressed over many years, and her own personal love of country music as told through the prism of queer theory and black feminist scholarship. In other words, there's a lot going on here that as Dr. Royster lays out the story, it all makes perfect sense. Dr. Royster is a professor of English at DePaul University, where she teaches courses in Shakespeare studies, performance studies, critical race theory, gender and queer theory, and African-American literature. She received her PhD in English from the University of California at Berkeley, and now she is a guest on the So Important podcast. So Dr. Royster, let me welcome you to the show. It is such a pleasure to have you. Oh, thank you so much, Monty. I'm really happy to be here. Well, I'm really glad to have you here. And as I mentioned to you earlier, the book is absolutely fascinating to me. There's so many facets of it, and you weave it all together. And I'm looking forward to having a discussion with you about all of those things. But first, I'm wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about what led you to write this book. Sure. Well, there are a lot of things happening at once. First, like in country music, there's been an explosion of new Black artists who are becoming more visible. So that was part of what was going on in the background. But reaching a little bit further back, I was having a conversation with my dad, who was a sessions musician when we lived in Nashville, along with, he was also an English professor. And I was just working on a memoir, and he started talking about our time in Nashville and what it was like to play music with these um, country music musicians. And I realized, oh, that's an area that I just haven't found really anyone writing about in terms of like Black experience in country music. So I started digging in and just found so much more than I knew in the process. I think the way you characterize it is exactly right. It's just not a topic that's front and center. I think people think Charlie Pride, they think one or two other artists, but you go way beyond that. Thank you. Yeah. One of my um, the discoveries that I really enjoyed finding out about was um, Tina Turner's country music album. I am a big fan of Tina Turner's, but I didn't know that she had this album that she made in 1974, which was a, a cover album of different country music artists. And um, she puts her own spin on it and her own experience as a country girl kind of born and raised in Nutbush, Tennessee. And so you can really hear the rocking Tina and then this other country Tina that sometimes you don't get access to. And that was just a, that was just a joy to find out about. A church house, in house, schoolhouse, outhouse, on highway number 19, the people keep the city clean. 
that was one of the most fascinating chapters in your book. And the book is, it's really about the relationship between the black community and country music and how it's evolved and where it is now and what the current artists are doing and how that's impacted you. And it's really much more robust and much more complex than I would guess that most people think. I think that um, some of the reason that the stories aren't really visible to us does have to do with the history of how country music was constructed. And um, like in the 1920s, when country music first became a marketable genre um, as hillbilly music, there was kind of this effort to segregate it between hillbilly music and race music. And so those were viewed as different, different markets and different audiences, even though the performers themselves performed cross-racially, different audiences were listening and Black listeners were interested in country music performers as well. And it was enfolded in, the part, in their own lives as well. So I think that that was like the beginning of a kind of assumption about who gets to play country music and who is interested in it. And it's continued to shape our relationships with the music. Well, so right away, there was a segregation. Yeah. Why did it take so long to get to where we are now, where there's so many artists who are exploring this genre? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. It's, it's definitely more complicated than I've been able to cover in my book. But I, I do feel like some of it has to do with the patterns of honoring African-American artists in this country, especially in the early and mid 20th century, where, you know, for a lot of musical genres, Black artists' um, work was a part of things, a part of the birth of rock and roll, especially like thinking about that. In popular music in the United States in general, Black artists have been major contributors, but often put to the margins, underpaid, not credited for their creative work. And you can also see that in the history of rock and roll as well. So um, some of that, I think, is is why that initial segregation like, continues to keep Black artists marginalized. Um, and then I think that there were just these, there were these rules about how country music was marketed and assumptions about the audience. Sometimes it went together with not only a whitening of the audience that wasn't accurate, but also a kind of condescension toward white rural audiences as well, and an assumption that um, they weren't a sophisticated audience either. And so the way that country music was framed already was as kind of a, a nostalgic and often kind of underestimated audience of, of whites that that we're looking, that's looking backwards at a kind of more retrograde idea about kind of culture and race. So country music had some of those, those struggles happening within it. And then there's kind of this idea too, that if black artists were allowed to be part of the industry, it was like, you didn't want to flood the audience. So in the same way that country music, often the industry, the mainstream industry often had like one woman artist at a time and this idea that you didn't want to have too many women on the airwaves. There's also really a, a very controlled aspect to having um, Black or other artists of color in the mainstream industry. So for a long time, Charlie Pride from the 19, uh, late 1960s through the 1970s and on was kind of the Black country music artist. And there was a very conservative idea that um, audiences wouldn't want, didn't want to have black artists in this genre. And in general, kind of this idea that the authentic, ideal country music listener 
is, you know, a white man, <laughs> that if the formula strayed too far from this ideal listener, the industry would lose a lot of money and it would make people angry and things like that. I think that the success of Charlie Pride is pretty phenomenal because he was able to emerge, you know, maybe as that singular black performer, but still to have a really exciting career and a really visible career in mostly white spaces at the height of the civil rights movement, where there was a lot of racial tension in the country. And I think in order to do that, he had to be very, very smart and very savvy about how he dealt with his audience and how he dealt with record executives. And I think it did, you know, it also took a psychic toll for him, but he still had a very productive career. Whenever I chance to meet some old friends on the street, they wonder how does a man get to be this way? I've always got a smiling face Anytime in any place And every time they ask me why I just smile and say You've got to kiss an angel good morning And let her know you think about her when you're gone Kiss an angel good morning Lover like the devil when you get back. He absolutely did. But it just is fascinating to me that there wasn't room for others. It seems like the country music establishment, the CMA, and, and just in general, the record labels, there was just a reluctance to explore this audience and think about how the roots of the music really came from the Black community in so yeah. many ways. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think that part of that history is also the history of, you know, blackface minstrelsy, like that's haunting. I say that it's a haunted presence in country music. I think it also shapes the ways that black audiences have received it too, like this perception that if black stories are being told, they're caricatured stories that are, you know, kind of about nostalgia for slavery or nostalgia for segregation. And I think it also reflects the way that sometimes country music has been enlisted to support political campaigns and ideas that are also kind of pro-segregation. So, so the result is for people like me who are interested in country music and maybe even fans, you know, in their own homes, there's kind of this reluctance and sometimes a feeling of unsafety in spaces where country music is played. And so I'm really interested in these um, black artists because I feel like they're they're intervening in in an atmosphere that still feels kind of tense. And sometimes the artists really talk about that too. Like they talk about feeling uncomfortable when they're performing and just fearful. And it's, it's kind of a microcosm of, I think sometimes what being in all white spaces feels like for, for black artists and other genres as well. But country music is, is kind of an intensified version of that. It's also symptomatic of just our larger society, isn't it? Yeah, unfortunately, that's really true. Yeah. But now today, we've seen the emergence of uh, the Black presence in country music. Can you talk about that a little bit and some of the artists now and how they've been able to break through and how the scene has maybe evolved a little bit? Absolutely. And I recommend um, a documentary that just came out this year called For Love and Country. This documentary interviews a lot of the new and emerging Black artists, artists like um, Mickey Guyton, Breland, Brittany Spencer, 
Yeah, there. I mean, actually, a whole lot of people, um, and I'm always learning about new artists. But one thing that's really changed the scene is that there there have been these key artists who've received some some success, like Rissy Palmer, who was really actually making music, uh, especially in the 1990s, and you know had a, a major label, but really kept coming up against constraints in terms of her creative freedom, and she eventually. Uh, withdrew and kind of made her own label and did her own work. But now in, um, you know, 2020, 2021, she started a radio show called Color Me Country, where she invites Black, Indigenous, and Latinx artists to talk about their favorite music and to talk about what it feels like to navigate the industry. And she also brings on scholars and uh, record producers. And so she's really, she herself, single, almost single-handedly, but I know nothing is single-handed, but she's really changed the visibility of Black artists and made a way for emerging artists to have an audience. And just recently, she invited the group Chapel Heart, a Mississippi group that just um, won America's Got Talent. And she invited them to do kind of a takeover of her show. So they hosted the show and talked about their own careers, but also the music that they love. And um, they're two sisters and a cousin. And they're just really great um, and really energetic. But I think besides shows like America's Got Talent or, you know, occasionally on um, the Opry or other places, there haven't been a lot of places for folks Black performers to perform country. So I think that her show is really great. And I also want to give a shout out to the Black Opry, which is a, a new kind of series of performances that's, that was initiated by Holly G, who was a um, music manager, but, but was also a country music fan. And she started out with um, a blog um, called the Black Opry, where she talked about new artists and gave little profiles and um, then branched into interviews. And now they have a cluster of Black country performers who are performing together and touring the country. And some and each of, each of the concerts reflects what's happening regionally. Um, so I saw a version of the Black Opry, that Black Opry Review that was um, in Evanston, Illinois. So um, the artists were from Chicago and from Southern Illinois and you know, from the city and from rural spaces. And so I think with the Black Opera Review, you get a chance to really see that there are artists all over the country, Black artists who are interested in this music. And then that looks different than someone like Mickey Guyton, who's taking kind of a more, almost like a Darius Rucker or Charlie Pride path at this point. You know, she just came out with an album with Capitol Records, and she's been working on building her career for more than a decade for a while, she, she had a contract with Capital, but they wouldn't distribute her music. And so she, um, after the death of George Floyd a few years ago, she um, decided to use social media to put out her own songs, and especially the song Black Like Me, which has kind of become her, her trademark song, where she identifies what it's like to be a Black woman in country music what her story, how her story is connected to the other stories of country music, but also, you know, has a particularity in terms of Black women's experiences. Little kid in a small town I did my best just to fit in Broke my heart on the playground 
They said I was different Oh, now Now I'm all grown up and nothing has changed Yeah, it's still the same It's a hard life On easy street Just white painted picket fences far That song became incredibly popular and was reposted on social media. And eventually, I think it pushed it pushed the label to release her album. And so often, Black country artists have had to use non traditional means to get get the word out. And maybe the maybe social media and the internet is creating another another pathway for artists to push the genre and to be more representative. So I think it's a it's an exciting time for that. The book is promoted as in the uh, context of queer theory and Black feminist scholarship. Yeah. But I wonder if you could just talk about that a little bit more. Sure. Absolutely. I use that framework and I get that framework across through my use of memoir and personal narrative because I wanted to mark the experience of my own process of discovery as a fan and as someone who was learning how deep the roots of country music run for Black people. So I really wanted to kind of show that and show some of the personal connections and show that process. And in in a way, that process is informed by Black, black feminism and queerness because I am a Black feminist and queer, but also because I was really thinking about gender and thinking about power. But I also, as I've been looking at this history, I was really interested in the process of resistance and also decentering the norms and resilience. And I, I think of queer theorist um, Jose Esteban Munoz, who passed away, but he wrote a lot about queerness as a kind of yearning for a world that isn't here yet. And he really argued that by queer artists, you can see that kind of mourning for what the past is and what the present is often not quite enough. It's and this desire to make a world for all of us. And so that spirit, yearning and also daydreaming and acting as if you can create the world that you want, I think is at the heart of queer theory. And so that was also what I recognized in these artists, that they're in some ways performing to audiences that aren't fully there yet, but they're finding their audience at the same time. But that that idea of kind of being above or being a little ahead of the curve is something that I often saw in the music or often heard in the music. Brothers and sisters, they may break your bones. They can bury your body, but only release your soul. They may build you a prison, never cage your mind. Insist you're not that, never believe that lie. You're too free, you're too proud.
thank you for laying that out as you did. I think it's really important for people to hear that. But where I go with it in my mind is that Mm -hmm. this was a very personal journey for you. And you talk about that in your very, at the very first chapter when with the discovery of the banjo and the music that you were listening to and how it differed from your parents' music. And can you talk about that aspect of it a little bit? I feel like this is music that like at its best really speaks to, you know, kind of a deep well of feeling. It's a very personal, very intimate kind of music, I think. And I think writing the book and, and getting to think about the music in a more sustained way and to learn more about it gave me a chance to also just create more space, you know, learning the banjo, which I did in part to help me recognize and understand country music was also a way to connect to the past. And um, I learned through my, my uh, teacher, Sully Greg Wilson, who knows a lot about the history of black music and performance. You know, he really emphasized the ways that, the banjo was part of um, the music that enslaved people played to entertain themselves and to give them solace and to think about their own conditions in the world. So that history of using the music that became the one, at least one of the roots of country music was so powerful and really connected to freedom and to reflection and pleasure and all these things. So Suli and I really worked on some of these early songs but at first it was very uncomfortable because some of these songs are songs that then became songs in minstrel shows and kind of caricatures of blackness. Like we learned Shorten and Bread, which, you know, is a song that has an, also has other titles if we're not looking at the, the kind of caricatured minstrelsy version. And it felt strange sometimes playing that music and really enjoying it and having memories about the songs, but also knowing that Sometimes the music was used in the service of, you know, racist ideas about Black people. Anyway, so my process of writing was really informed by the discovery of the music and really trying to kind of get a more of an embodied feeling in connection with the music and to hear it, hear what was underneath. What I think is, was one, an unexpected discovery is that now that I can feel and recognize in country music this, these deeper roots, I hear it everywhere. And it's almost as if a lot, like all, maybe all, <laughs> all African-American music or maybe all music has these country elements. Like I can hear it so much more, especially like thinking about soul music and R&B, but really thinking even more widely. Like I, I really hear a more foundational sound and the genre of country is one, is like a, just a container that in some ways feels like it's it's just inadequate to really talk about the music and it's almost as if the genre is less important to me than the music itself but that took listening a lot and and then also studying the music and playing the music myself i think that's an absolutely compelling point so much of the roots of american music go back so long and you can always trace them maybe you know maybe not so much in rock music today but if you look at the history of Western swing and all the things we're talking about and how it turned into the backbeat and rock and roll music and yeah. all the, you know, it's, it's just such an amazing history, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. It's, it's actually like, even though it, it is a history that has like these tensions and lives lost, like connected to it in some ways, it's also like such a beautiful history and a, a history of creativity, sometimes collaboration, sometimes not, but it, 
excites me to have the chance to be able to write about it, you know, as an English professor, because this is, music was always something that was a place of pleasure and connection for me, but it wasn't my scholarship. So at this point in my career, it's just a joy to be able to write about it and, you know, give my full attention to it. Well, that comes out and you write about it beautifully. And it's great to have a passion and be able to take that and translate it into a book. I have just so much respect for that. And I guess my last question would be, what do you want the reader to take away from this book? I feel like when I started the book, and I even started the chapter, the first chapter of the book, I was really talking about thinking about this feeling of constraint, what it feels like to feel like, okay, this music isn't for me, even if I know my people were, have been involved in it. This isn't a music that I could go listen to. This isn't something that, as a Black woman, I should be listening to. Like that feeling, there's a feeling of discomfort and even shame in being interested in the music. And what I really want to come through is this idea that this is music that has been part of Black culture all along, but also all of us, we can all be a part of any music that appeals to us. And that what's joyful about music is that it can be a place of creativity that can tap into these deeper roots. And that really we should all feel a a freedom to listen to and be connected to music in a wider way. So I really wanted, especially for, for Black listeners, but for all listeners to kind of embrace that idea that music is uh, a place that transcends boundaries. And it's important to know where those boundaries come from, but that it can be a place of, of freedom and a place to create the future. So that's really what I want to take away <laughs> as a takeaway. Wonderfully stated, perfect way to end our conversation. So uh, thank you so much, Dr. Royster, for coming on the show and uh, very appreciated. Thank you. Now you know-